This podcast is brought to you by Simply Light. Introducing Simply Light Lemonade. Can you hear that? That's the sweet sound of 75% less sugar and calories. We want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. From the podglomerate, you're listening to The Feast. I'm Dr. Laura Carlson, and I explore the history of food. From empires of sugar to lunch counter revolutions. Whether it's mom's home cooking or opulent hundred-course dinners, food has fueled politics, technology, religion, and more. History is full of food. And on each episode of The Feast, we're bringing you the meals that made it. Before we get started today, we have just a bit of housekeeping. First off, The Feast has been nominated for some taste awards, which is, well, awesome. But one of the award categories we're up for is viewers, or I guess in this case, listeners, choice. Which means we need you, you fabulous listeners, to vote for us. Visit the Taste Awards website at www.thetasteawards.com and click on the link for viewer's choice. You'll find the feast in the category for Best Food Program Online Streaming. We'd love to have your vote, but while you're on the site, why not check out some of the other finalists in our category? There are some pretty amazing food shows out there, if I do say so myself. Now, if you do decide to vote for us, thank you. But also, you can take a screenshot of your vote and send it to thefeast at thefeastpodcast.org, and we'll send you, as thanks, our favorite historical recipe for cake. It's got sea foam frosting and everything. Now, if we win, we'll bake it up and do a special bonus episode on the glorious history of cake. Because cake. And we'll share that episode with all our newsletter subscribers. Which means, if you haven't caught on already, if you haven't subscribed to the newsletter, well, there's no better time than the present. And we promise not to spam you. Anyway, that's our first bit of cool news. The second? The Feast is doing a live event. In just a few weeks' time, on February the 22nd, I'll be speaking at Heritage Square in Phoenix, Arizona, about women and cocktails in the U.S. in the years leading up to Prohibition. Not only will it be a talk about some pretty awesome ladies, but it'll also feature some pretty delicious cocktail recipes. Either way, you can't go wrong. You can find out more about the talk by visiting heritagesquarephx.org and clicking on their events calendar. And hey, if you do come to the event, come up and say hi afterwards. I promise I don't bite. Okay, that's enough housekeeping. Let's get to today's episode. Toronto, Ontario, the city where I live, is a self-proclaimed city of immigrants. And hey, I'm one of them. At last count in 2016, the greater Toronto area, that is, the downtown plus all the nearby towns and suburbs, had a population just over 6.4 million people, making it the most populous metropolitan area in Canada. By quite a bit. What's even more interesting over 46% of those 6.4 million people 
myself included, were born in a country other than Canada. That's almost half. Folks who live here come from all corners of the globe, from the Himalayas, from El Salvador, from Syria, from China. All of these people have chosen to settle in Toronto, bringing with them their culture, their traditions, and, of course, their food. Which means you can eat pretty well here. Toronto has become famous for an abundance of diverse culinary styles and traditions in recent years. In January of just this year, the New York Times fawned over a local Syrian flatbread cafe called Sufis. In the summer, you can sample over a dozen different kinds of Himalayan and Nepalese dumplings, a.k.a. momo, in just one neighborhood alone. But if you ask many a Torontonian what style of food our city does best, what country's cuisine you can find the most variety and diversity of within the city's limits, the answer is often the same. China. Which makes a certain amount of sense, statistically speaking. In the last five years, over 60% of new immigrants to Canada were from Asia, and specifically, China. In fact, today, more than 1.3 million people, about 4% of the population, identify as having Chinese ancestry in Canada. And this is no new trend. The Chinese community has had a significant presence in Toronto for over 100 years, contributing to the city's politics, culture, economics, and, of course, to the food. Often compared to San Francisco's Chinatown, Spadina Avenue in the heart of downtown Toronto has been a neighborhood associated with the Canadian-Chinese community since the mid-20th century. But with over a million people identifying themselves as having Chinese ancestry, there's no way the diversity and richness of this community can be restricted to just one road or neighborhood. Recently, many people have started to head north of the downtown core, to the nearby town of Markham, which is still considered part of the GTA, or Greater Toronto Area, for the numerous restaurants, cafes, bakeries, and supermarkets that specifically feature food from all over China. As a relative newcomer to Toronto, I wanted to explore a bit of the area that has become so associated with fantastic Chinese food in recent years. And I could think of no better time than right now, as preparations for the upcoming Lunar New Year are in full swing. As luck would have it, I recently met Teresa Zhang, whose family is from Guangzhou in southern China, or as they still refer to it, Canton. Teresa has lived in Canada for decades. Her aunt runs the successful Aroma Bakery in Markham, which features delicious, and I mean delicious, traditional pastries from southern China. Much of Teresa's family still lives in China, and Teresa often makes the trip back to visit them. Teresa is an expert in the foods of southern China, and I asked her to show me around some of the places that feature this style of food in Toronto. So, on a very cold Canadian winter morning, we headed out to eat our way through the city of Markham. And on our travels, I had the chance to chat with her about food culture in Toronto, how it compares with her experiences in China, and how Chinese food in Toronto has changed over the last few years. Our first stop was a restaurant specializing in an icon of southern Chinese street food, rice noodle rolls. 
Now, you may have seen these rolls, which often are a staple at dim sum restaurants. They're often stuffed with any variety of meat, fish, even served plain. But as I was to learn, the best rice noodle rolls are found on the street, made to order where the noodle is rolled so thinly it's practically translucent. The restaurant we were headed to, Yinji, had made its name on this dish. Opening in Guangzhou in the 1950s, the first Yinji restaurant took its name from the woman who put its noodle rolls on the map, Madame Yin. And today the Yinji brand has over 30 locations to its name, both in China and abroad. And it remains beloved in Toronto for those looking for a taste of iconic southern Chinese street food. Teresa and I headed to the restaurant to talk food. And even though it was 10 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, the restaurant was bustling. Teresa explained just how difficult the dish is to make and why yinchi remains a staple for those addicted to noodle rolls. So they'll have like a cloth, and then they'll make the rice into water, and then they pour it onto the cloth, steam it in a little flat plate, and then lift up the cloth, and then go like this, because there's grease on it, and then the whole thing rolls over. And they put meat on top of it. So I'm going to order a pork liver one. Yeah, okay. Pork liver chai noodle, the um, beef and shrimp one. Teresa ordered a few different rolls for us to sample, along with some curried fish balls, another street food classic, as well as a mixed style of kanji, or rice porridge, that featured egg, fish, squid, and chives. As we waited for the food to arrive, we chatted a bit about southern Chinese food in Toronto. Despite the numerous restaurants and supermarkets catering to the southern Chinese community, it can still be extremely expensive to shop for ingredients for even basic dishes. Take chives, for example. Specifically, yellow chives, which can be found in dozens, if not hundreds, of classic Chinese dishes. These style of chives are grown specifically indoors, so they don't have access to daylight. And accordingly, the plant doesn't produce any chlorophyll, a.k.a. they don't turn green. Because of this, they're thought to have a more delicate texture and flavor than their green counterparts. Now, you'd think a plant that's specifically grown indoors would be custom-made for Canadian winters, but apparently not. Sold for the equivalent of pennies in Guangzhou markets, yellow chives can often cost upwards of $10 a pound in Canada. So that's the yellow chive? Mm. Yep. Mm -hmm. So it's just regular chive, but inside a box. Okay, so no so sunlight. No sunlight, and then instead of green, it goes yellow. Extremely expensive in Toronto. It's the same price as lobster. I don't understand that. So, well, last year for some reason it was really expensive. They were selling it for ten ninety nine a pound. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, and you use it in a lot, right? So I mean, you yeah, want a lot but in in Toronto we don't because it's a very expensive dish to order. But in China, if you order it, they might not have it in the shop because it's such dirt cheap that they don't even want to serve it in the restaurant. So I went to multiple restaurants with my sister to try to get like just plain fried chives and then they're looking at us like, who eats that, right? And I was like, me too. And they're like, where are you, from the village? <laughs> Toronto. So we have someone who up to Toronto Village, we were telling them that, but and then 
and then she she found we found a restaurant we go because it's almost like a half street restaurant kind of and we're like oh do you have chives they're like yeah we do so my sister and they're like do you want it fried with like shrimp or pork or beef whatever and my sister's like no we just want it plain just the chives and then the lady the waitress walked away but you could hear her mumblings like oh what a stupid like she just poured it like she's so stupid she would not eat meat but we just eat plain chives that's so dumb like you know what I mean so what is it I mean it, um, when you fry chives because they're small mm-hmm. isn't like I mean are they just like little crispy thin like kind of like the chocolate yep yeah. um, it's a bun you cut it this big and then you fry it with ginger and garlic and you basically just toss it in really hot oil for I would say 30 seconds and done not even yeah salt pepper 30 seconds eat and you have to eat it fresh. So my aunt realized that we like it so much, so she went to market. And she did her usual shopping and she asked people, oh, do you guys have chives? They're like, oh, you want chives here? You can have it. And just gave her like this much for free. Because what they usually do is they're like, oh, if you bought pork and beef and you're going to do stir fries, like here, I'll give you a, a bunch of chives to go with that for okay. free. Yeah. But they're like, oh, it's the end of the day. We have so much. You can keep it for too long. Here, take it. So she came up with this. And I was like, oh, how much did that cost you? She's like, oh, it's free. Can I take that back to Toronto? I know, right? But yeah, we were so excited. So instead of going out to a restaurant and get people to make fun of us, my aunt make us a plate of chives every morning. So lucky. After all this talk of chives, I decided to do a little digging about this interesting ingredient. And what I didn't know is that Canada and China have been locked in, for lack of a better term, a garlic war for more than a decade. You see, the plant that produces the iconic yellow chives Teresa and I were talking about is often otherwise known as garlic chives. And therein lies the sticky problem. That one little word, garlic, has unintentionally drawn in this little plant to an international food war. You see, China in the late 90s and early 2000s, had become a garlic-growing giant, supplying cheap garlic to countries all over the world. And many look back to the early 2000s as the period of the, quote, Great Chinese Garlic Dump. Yes, that's actually the phrase that's used. When Chinese food companies flooded the international market with the iconic vampire repellent. In some cases, selling garlic at less than cost. This caused prices to plummet, forcing many local producers, including those in Canada, out of the garlic market. Now, garlic farmers, who were understandably not really pleased about this whole thing, successfully petitioned the Canadian government to raise the tariff on all alliums, that is, members of the garlic family, which includes, obviously, garlic chives. With imported garlic now way pricier, consumers turned to the homegrown market, putting Canadian garlic farmers back in business. And on many fronts, the Canadian garlic trade has flourished since then. There's now even an annual Toronto Garlic Festival. But there have been some downsides. Although you can find Ontario-grown garlic chives, most local producers are focusing on growing those traditional white heads of garlic— not their chivey brethren. Which means most yellow chives found in Toronto restaurants or grocery stores are still foreign-grown. Not just from China, but from around the world. And despite the huge demand for them in Ontario as 
foundational ingredients in not only Southern Chinese, but Vietnamese, Thai, even Mexican cuisine. As an import, they still cost more than a few dollars at the cash register. But garlic chives are just one small part of the complicated food industry that exists in Canada, where available homegrown produce often can butt heads with ingredients needed in traditional international cuisines. This podcast is brought to you by Simply Light. Introducing Simply Light Lemonade. Can you hear that? That's the sweet sound of 75% less sugar and calories. We want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. So, after a delicious and filling meal of noodle rolls and congee, Teresa and I headed across the parking lot. Our destination? T&T Supermarket, the largest chain of Asian grocery stores in Canada. Founded by Cindy Lee, a Chinese-born Canadian who opened the first T&T store in British Columbia in 1993, the brand has become a pan-Canadian success story, with stores in Ontario, B.C., and Alberta. Lee patterned her stores on existing national supermarket chains. You see, instead of small shops, Lee started big, opening a 45,000-square-foot store that not only featured Chinese produce— but items from throughout Asia, including Japan, Korea, even stretching to the Philippines. And as Teresa and I walked in the door of the TNT in Markham, you could sense the size of the place. From hot pot stations to live seafood to cookware to household goods, the store felt like half supermarket, half food hall, with much of the space devoted to ready-made meals, either cooked to order by the numerous chef stations around the store or prepackaged behind the scenes, ready for you to take home. And thanks to the time of year, the store we went to also had been entirely redecorated in honor of the approaching Lunar New Year celebrations. Lanterns hung from the ceilings and ready to buy food for family celebrations was everywhere. <laughs> Teresa explained some of the iconic foods you could pick up at the store. So these are what people do, let's say everyone goes visit family and friends and you don't want to go empty-handed. So you would buy, like, gift boxes, and forever rosary is a big thing, too. We call this in Cantonese gamsa, which is golden sand. So you want to bring your golden sand for New Year's. It's all, like, luck and all that stuff, right? So seriously, forever rosary is so smart. They didn't know, but they, they tap in the market. But they were able to. Yep. So these are rice cakes. Um, my dad likes to cut them into slices and then pan fry it and then you eat it and it's called the year cake. We always have it. Yeah, so my dad would make them out of glutinous flour with whatever material. Because that's red bean. I guess they mix coconut milk in that. Is there a reason why it's known as year cake or is that just the... It's, I don't know. That I don't know. But it's always during New Year's we just have lingo in different flavor. Yeah. Do you have a favorite flavor? Uh, me? I'm not a big fan of it. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't like it. Yeah, I don't like it. That's just me, though. Ah, so gluten, this is not, this is not southern Chinese. This is more nor northern, up north. Sweet glutinous rice. It's just rice mixed with the assorted, kind of like fruitcake, except it's with that type of stuff, right? Okay. So you have like dry plum and all that stuff around it, but with rice. Yeah. yeah, but it's very heavy. I'm not a, for me, I <laughs> just think like it's, fruitcake. yeah, just like fruitcake. It's way too there was heavy. food so everywhere, 
Next to the Ferrero Rocher and rice cakes was a massive hot pot and crepe station where chefs were standing by to put anything and everything into your chosen lunch. So that's the um, tangerine pancake. It's almost like it's a crepe, but they put um, fried bean dough inside it. So you Is can that watch how she's making Yeah, right okay. there. But you can put different ingredients, right? So they have a station to make their Asian crepe. But it's savory for breakfast. They put eggs on it. It's the same thing. After all our discussion about chives over lunch, I wanted to see how much they were going for at TNT. So it was off to the produce section. So here we go. We have the chives. Oh, it's cheaper today. These are the chives. Okay. Oh, they're cheaper today. <laughs> you want to grab some? Last year. No, oh, no, not really. Oh, twelve ninety nine a pound. Right? Yeah. This is not a pound. This is like. $28 kilograms. Still expensive. Oh my god, $12.99 a pound. <laughs> yeah. While yellow chives may still cause a bit of sticker shock, Teresa and her family have found ways to keep or grow traditional southern Chinese ingredients, even in the chilly climate of Toronto. You could totally plant them in Canada. That's very easy. We eat the leaves in the soup. It's a little bitter. It's like our bitter green, but they're very smooth. So my parents, they're very easy to plant in Canada. The, the roots, the stick, you don't need to do anything. Just put it in the, you just stick it into the soil. The next year it will grow a little tree and then you could just eat all the leaves and then you let it be and then the goji berry will grow and you dry it and you have oh. goji berry. Oh, wow. Yeah, they shouldn't be selling so pricey in Canada, but I think because it's the nutritional value, it's a new thing. Right. They're like, it's a thing now, so we're going to sell it for like 10 bucks, but really, so easy to plant. I feel like I see goji berries everywhere, right? Like yeah. a lot of people put them in like yogurt and granola the now. environment in Canada is perfect for it. Oh, wow. You don't okay. even need to buy it. So if you want to stick, I'll give you a stick. Yeah. Hanging out in the dried goods section, Teresa and I wandered from goji berries to dried mushrooms to dried citrus. With each item featuring a not only iconic Chinese cuisine, but also often traditional Chinese medicine. And as I was learning, these were, more often than not, the same thing. This thing dehydrated citrus peel. Okay, so this place is called Sunboy. Um, it's a location, I don't know if they say it, it's a location in Canton, product of China, but I guess they don't have it. They're the most famous for it. Let's see here. Oh, for these, like the tangerine peels? Yep, tangerine peels. Um, it's a specific type of tangerine from this location. Um, they are now very rare because um, people use it for medicine. They put a piece in the con plain congee and that would help the flavor. But also it's actually one of the most balanced medicine uh, within the Chinese medicine. It's just balanced. People would get this type of tangerine, they dry it with either sugar or salt and you could just have it as a snack orange peel and just eat it. It's good for your throat when you have a cough, right? So it's really cool. And you could pour water in it and soak it and make it into tea, right? So um, the longer you kept them in a jar, the more expensive they get. The darker color they get, the more medicine, the more valuable it gets. So um, you could buy these. These are fresh. You could buy these for like thousands of dollars in a glass pot that's been in the glass pot for about 20 years. But it's sun, um, it's sun dry. So my cousin has a pot in China from like 20 years ago. He takes it out every year and he put it on newspaper and he lets the sun kind of just go at it mm -hmm. and then put it back in the pot every year. And he takes like a little leaf, like let's say the sun has a sore throat, just take a little piece, put it in and very fragrantful and drink it. 
But that thing worth a lot of money. Like 20 years. years. It's kind of like Chinese cheese, I guess, with a vegetable feel. Or like wine, right? Yeah, like it's, it is like that. So this stuff is really interesting. And just like the Yellow Tribes, there can be an interesting conflict between what should or needs to be locally grown versus the value or desirability of imported goods. While the package of dried citrus insisted it was straight from China, Teresa was less certain. I question whether if they are really from here. Okay, it instead could of just, just like be a, a logo, it could be a brand name. Yeah, right? it's like so, to make people think that it's from yeah, this iconic place. Unless if I go and I got the tangerine and I keep my own peels. <laughs> but my, my dad does that now. He's like, doesn't matter. All tangerine peels work. It doesn't have to be bad. So specific. even if we eat Canadian tangerine, he would still keep them. Hmm. Sometimes he put it in the fridge just the way it is because the tangerine could soak up the smell from the fridge. So we have tangerine in our fridge randomly, like just to peel. Oh, nice. I <laughs> so, thought about it like that. So, but yeah, even pomelo or grapefruit or orange peel, any sort of citrus fruit peels, you can put it in the fridge, it soaks up the flavor. When it's super dry, just throw it away. Oh, wow. You see, I've just been using baking soda. This well, is like changing my life. It, it's spongy. Yeah. And then you got the citrus oil. The fragrance comes out and spongy, it soaks it up and throw it away afterwards. I might be trying this soon. Yeah. So. Dried and fresh fruit was everywhere in the store with most of it gift-wrapped in red and gold in honor of the new year, all ready to take to your favorite relative. And then apples we go for New Year's because peng bo peng meaning peace. So we want to have a peaceful year, so you buy apples. And then you also buy tangerine because they're called gut, gut is luck. So apples, tangerine, and then pears, fe lei, lei is in like prosperity. So you buy those three fruits together and you bring it to someone's home for a visit. With a little Ferrero Rocher, apples, and rice cake, we were almost set for New Year's. There was just one last stop to make before we headed back into the Canadian cold. Ah, here you go. Sesame balls, right? That's what you have in the package. Oh, yeah. So when you deep fry, it blows up and it's called seal haojou, meaning like a happy, smiling kind of plum. And then you get the, um, what else do you have in there? You have this. It's a deep-fried dumpling, but inside is coconut, peanuts, and sugar. And it's almond as well, and you bite into it, it just falls apart, but it's delicious. We could have spent hours more in TNT. But with the dumplings, apples, cakes, and chocolate, we had made a pretty good start on a prosperous and happy new year. And hopefully, this has inspired a few Lunar New Year ideas for you, too. And if you're in the Toronto area and find yourself near a TNT, or for that matter, a yin Chi restaurant. I can't recommend both of them highly enough. In future episodes, we'll chat more with Teresa and dig a little deeper into some of the fantastic backgrounds to these culinary New Year's traditions. But in the meantime, all the wealth and prosperity to you and yours in the Year of the Dog. The Feast is written and produced by me, Laura Carlson, with technical direction by Mike Port. A huge thank you to Teresa Zhang for spending most of the day with me eating and exploring restaurants in the TNT market. A big thank you as well, of course, to the NG restaurant and the TNT for letting us record. We'll put up some photos on the Feast's website of some of the great dishes and foods we found in the course of our travels. And of course, if you have the chance and would like to sample the best pastries in the world, swing by Aroma Bakery in Markham run by Teresa's Aunt Annie. Music Today featured work by Jazar and Andy G. Cohen. And that's all for us this week. Once again, a very happy Lunar New Year to everyone, 
and we'll be back in two weeks' time with more meals that made history. I'm Laura Carlson, and this is The Feast. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe. Tonight on NBC. Will everyone in the cardiac surgical department please raise your hands? Thank you. You're all fired. Based on an inspiring true story. Any department who places billing above care, you will be terminated. One doctor will break every rule. Just tell me what you need, what your patients need. To inspire a revolution. Let's get into some trouble. Let's be doctors again. From the network that brings you This Is Us, New Amsterdam, tonight on NBC.